0: I'm Chris Turner, and this is the Empowered Parent Podcast. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Christopher. We are also joined once again by our friend, Allison Heighton. Hi, Allison. Hey, Chris. So I wanted us all to get together again to talk about expectations because there are so many places in our lives where unmet expectations get in the way of our connection with our kids.
1: So when we came home with our little girl, she, it was a difficult, I'll just say it was very difficult around mealtimes. Mm. And when Russ and I went to the empower to Connect parent trainer course, we were sitting there and Ryan was talking about not making mealtime a struggle Meanwhile, I'm elbowing my husband because <laughs> dinners at our house were terrible. My little girl wanted to sit on my lap all the time and my husband's trying to defend me to allow me to have some peace to eat and so he's yelling at another kid to make sure they're not um, bouncing up on their seat and we were just having rough meal times. We were not in agreement and when Ryan said that, it was a game changer for us. We realized that our expectations of what dinner should be mm were not realistic, especially with a kid with sensory needs, especially with a kid from a hard place who really just wanted the comfort of mom. So Mm -hmm. I had to make some sacrifices for time. We've come a long way from where we were then to where we are now, but the expectations that dinner is gonna be a peaceful event really led (laughs) to a difficult time connecting with our kids for sure. It was really hard. And now things are a lot better and a lot more peaceful at our dinner table.
0: If only there had been a podcast episode about mealtime struggles <laughs> that Russ and Allison could have listened to back then.
2: I know. It only came out a week ago. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I needed it four years ago.
3: I'd like to apologize. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. For nothing. <laughs> um, it is interesting, though, um, how so much peace comes to to the family when the only thing that changes is your expectations. Because I'm sure now, years later. Um, your daughter's behavior is much, is different from what it was, right?
1: Oh, absolutely.
3: But before her behavior changed, uh, Russ's expectations had to change. And you know, dinner time was, was a really big big one for me. And you know, I feel like getting to a place where I could could say you need to change expectations at, at dinner time was one of the biggest journeys I had to travel because um, everything was very formal in my childhood surrounding meals. You know. Um, and, my, you know, when I th- every time one of my kids, like, stands and eats, I think I might, my dear sweet grandmother could not <laughs> handle that.
0: <laughs> I almost can't handle it.
3: Yeah. 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 But but if you want to see change in behavior, you're going to have to change your expectations first, I think, is, is going to be a governing principle of the next 25 minutes here. Because, you know, we could, we could go for hours about expectations. I had expectations of how children should be in swimming pools. Mm. I had expectations um, about a lot of things and all of those expectations, if we're when we're able to be honest with ourselves, they, they trace back to something from our childhood that kind of um, set that expectation because it's not like you just uh, in this moment go, you know what, I really have no opinion on this but I think that all of a sudden and that, that doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. It is, It comes from something deep inside of you. Everything's informed by something else. Yeah, and unless yeah. you get to a place where you can come to terms with whatever that is, it's always going to be a struggle.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, we, we had an episode on, um, school and schooling. And I think one of my expectations was that when I homeschooled, it would look just like my classroom. When Mm. I was teaching in a classroom, my children would sit at their desks, they would do their schoolwork. I would stand at the whiteboard and I would (laughs) teach them a lesson and, I quickly learned that that's not at all what homeschooling looks like most days at my house. Now, my kids do have desks, and they occasionally sit at them. And I do have a whiteboard on the wall, and I occasionally stand at it and draw.
3: I call this expectation the sound of music expectation. <laughs> there you it go. really is. Yes. I mean,
2: it's it's you have this picture in your mind, and I think especially for me, because I was a classroom teacher and I had a classroom where kids mm-hmm. had desks and I stood at a whiteboard. And so I thought, well, I mean, I have almost a full classroom full of kids at my house, so it should look the same, but it didn't. I mean, it, it looked completely different. And especially when you have a toddler running around or a preschooler <laughs> running around who is screaming, I don't want to do schoolwork today. <laughs> I just want to play. And I had to finally get to the place where I said, you know what? I'm okay with her just playing. I don't have to have an activity for her that's educational in nature when she's two or three or four or five
0: even. Because it's also kind of weird how kids learn through osmosis.
2: They do. Like, I mean, just
0: by being around her siblings who are already doing the learning thing, she's going to pick
2: stuff up. Oh, and she has. She has. I have done very little schoolwork with Libby, who's mm. five, and Just today, Allison was playing, and she's like, "Can you help me count this deck of cards?" And she counted to fifty-two, and I was like, I looked at her, and I was like, "I didn't know you could count like that." Usually, she gets tripped up, yeah. But it's just, and we've done very little schoolwork, but she's gotten it. And so, when I changed my expectations and I stopped fighting with her to stay in the room and to do this, and I stopped, you know, I had to, I had to lower my expectations a little bit of what some of my kids were capable of giving me, Mm. and not base it on their age or what grade they should be in and kind of lower that expectation. I found that my days were so much more peaceful mm. and that I didn't fight with my kids all day long. And when we got to the end of the day, I didn't go, Oh, we didn't get anything done. I wanted to do. I just realized, Hey, we got something done today and I was okay with that. Right. And I had way better, I have way better days when I just remember that expectation.
3: Yeah. You know, again, every time we have one of these stories, I always think, To bring about the change we wanted to see, we had to change first. Right. And so often we want the kids to change first, and we put all the pressure on them. And we get really, really frustrated, and it just spirals into a very bad place because the kids had to change first. And, um, you know, I haven't done enough personal discovery as to why I feel that way. But it was a hard thing for me to realize that I had to be the adult and I had to lead the change and I had to be an example, and I had to change my expectations if we want to see positive change in the family. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to add to that, but it was really kind of, you know, when we got to that moment as parents, there was really a big, a big turning point for us. And I think that's a lesson that we really need to pass on to our kids, mm. especially our older kids,
0: because I know, I've noticed one thing within our family. Our oldest and our youngest both play hockey. And the oldest is 14 and the youngest is six at the time of this recording. And we have a, a net and they have sticks and balls and stuff that they can play with in the driveway. And things always start out great between the two of them. But invariably, the six-year-old is going to come inside crying about something.
1: <laughs> it sounds familiar. Because brother was, <laughs>
0: brother was mean to him because he was trying to do this and apparently he wasn't doing it the way Big Brother thought he should be doing it. And then I have to have, you know, first the calm down talk with the little one and then the expectation talk with the older one. Like, you know, dude, you're 14. He's only six. You've been playing since you were five. He's only six. He also has been playing since he was five. (laughs) He
2: also has been playing since he was five. It's a much shorter
0: distance. Great
1: math lesson.
0: So the things you're capable of, he's not capable of, and you need to adjust your expectations as to what he's able to do.
3: Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the firstborn Mm. because, um, you know, with the dynamic having a 15-year-old and a five-year-old in the house and and a bunch of people in between, um, helping him with his appropriate expectations, Um, like Libby was upset about something yesterday, and he was just like, just come downstairs. And I told him, she's five. Mm. She gets to be upset about that because she's she's just a baby and Mm. she's just five. And so he kind of rolled his eyes at me as he (laughs) walked by me on the stairs. But, you know, that got me thinking about, you know, when he arrived, he arrived at almost four. Okay. And we, are, we had one kid up until that point and she was 18 months old. And so I have no idea what a, what, what a four-year-old can do, right? I got no idea. Mm-hmm. We hadn't yet discovered uh, Empower to Connect and TBRI and that it was kind of after he came home, they were like, okay, we, we need some help here. Mm. Um, so we didn't know anything about connected parenting. I didn't know anything about what four-year-olds could do. I couldn't remember being a four-year-old <laughs> and here this, this, this guy shows up and um, – and he can't ride. And so I'm like, well, four-year-old should be able to ride a bicycle without training wheels. And so we take the training wheels off the bike, and I'm running behind him off the street, and I let go, and he falls. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Let's we'll get up. Let's go. And we go back again, and he's, and and he falls again. And and I, I guess he's trying to please me because he hangs in there all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, this is two tries to. I mean, we can try some more here. And the third time he does it, he falls, and his seat um goes into his back he actually ended up with like a bruise on his Mm. back from with from falling and then he didn't want to ride bicycle anymore and so the problem with that is not just that that a four that a four-year-old boy fell off his bicycle because kids hold their bicycles all the time the problem with that that i didn't realize at the time is that my expectation of what he could do uh, was causing frustration for me because i thought he should be able to do this Mm but it was also becoming a relational barrier because all of a sudden he wasn't trusting dad around bicycles because mm. he was associating dad and falling and getting hurt. And so it wasn't that it wasn't that my expectation was leading to frustration for me. It's that my expectation was really, really building a barrier relationally between me and my son. And I think that if we think about most examples where, where we don't have unmixed expectations with our children – it's not just that it's frustrating. We, we will we'll accept well, that is frustrating because they didn't meet this expectation. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we will understand and admit that it is causing greater distance between us when we are supposed to be shortening the distance, we're not lengthening it. right? And to me, that's the real problem with having these expect- unrealistic expectations of our kids.
0: So what would you guys say um, might be one of the most unrealistic expectations we have especially when it comes to bringing home the, for the first time a, a foster or not adopted kid
2: I there's so many expectations that come along with that i mean i think there's expectations of what that bringing of the child home is going to look like what mm-hmm. you know if you're adopting internationally how's it going to look like i know people that have gotten overseas to the orphanage and have had meltdowns like from the very beginning, the child is melting down or the child doesn't want to talk to them or the child doesn't want to come near them or is afraid of them or whatever. And their expectation is they're going to scoop up this little one and it's just going to be this magical moment. Mm. But then there's also these expectations of after your child's been home for so long that things are going to be different. So maybe Mm. you were prepared for them not to be good at first, but after a year, Surely you have uh, yeah you're like well i mean i've been feeding you every day for a year you shouldn't be hoarding food in your room Mm -hmm. or i've been you know taking care of you every single day you should trust me you know Mm -hmm. and i think there's so many of those big big expectations that i i don't even think we consciously realize we have them Mm -hmm. until they're unmet and we're wounded by it or we react to it
0: you're frustrated and you don't know why you're frustrated yes like ryan was saying earlier you have to figure out where's this expectation yeah. and what's informed this expectation. In and
1: absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. For us, a big one was that I thought I could parent my adopted daughter, the same as my bio kids. Mm. And I quickly learned that that was not going to work. Yeah. And empowered to connect saved our family for sure. Yeah.
3: You know, and another, another one of those expectations that, that I think we had was that if we could, um, if we could just change the child's address, and I know you know for for people, for some people that's changing the the country and giving them a U.S. zip code, but for some of them it's just changing their address in the city, like it was for us, and that they weren't in this volatile situation or this this situation where they, they were at, their safety was at risk or whatever the case may have been, um, that there would be some commensurate level of of gratitude because we provided an an environment, a safe environment and learning the difference between feeling safe and being safe. So the difference between uh, a safe environment and an environment of felt safety, understanding that was like, I mean, it was mind blowing for me. And there may be people who grasp that concept right away and think, well, why is is he so slow? (laughs) But I really, I mean, that just really, um, it was hard for me because I was like, okay, your physical needs are being met your emotional needs are being met no one's hurting you why are things actually getting worse Mm. now and it was just so frustrating because i had this expectation of look you're getting like three meals a day snacks every two hours um, your own bedroom you're not your 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 clothing is clean and hung up (laughs) you know there are all these things and then and there was no like the behaviors didn't change in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I really had this expectation was, okay, we've changed this person's environment, this little person's environment in a positive way. My expectation is that they would respond to that. Mm. And, they, and, and they didn't. And it's a very unrealistic expectation, a very unrealistic expectation, but one that I certainly didn't understand when our kids were smaller. Yeah,
0: I can think of an unrealistic expectation my wife and I had that I don't think either one of us realized we had at the time. Was that uh, for our our middle child? We were there in the delivery room when he was born, and we kind of had this expectation of, oh, we've had him since he was born.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. we shouldn't have any of these, you know, connecting adjustment problems and, uh, and all these sorts of things. And uh, kind of like with Russ and Allison, things we learned going through Empowered to Connect training, we realized, oh, that's why these yeah. things are going on. Yeah, we we hadn't really considered prenatal stress which is kind of stupid on our part since our biological kid had had prenatal stress and a difficult birth and uh, I think we've mentioned it before but you know our bio kid has three of the six markers of a kid from a hard place and you know we just kind of well at the time we didn't know about those things it's all you know 2020 hindsight now it all makes sense but at the time we were just like you know we've had them since birth why are we having these issues but once we you know learn of these things of you know what he went through in the womb, the stress his mom was under even if she had been you know taking care of herself and all the right ways things were not necessarily gonna be hunky-dory for him you know in yeah. the womb and that that's gonna lead to those problems later on so that was a big expectation that we had to let go of yeah. is that there're gonna be things that are difficult for him because of those things, even though we had him since he You know, made his appearance in the world.
3: Yeah, and and we have a similar situation with our with our oldest daughter because we brought her home from the hospital, and I thought that this was going to be the easiest thing because the only people she, the only people in Mm -hmm. air quotes she'd ever known, right, uh, and the only home she'd ever lived in was ours. And then um, we read the connected child for the first time, and there's this letter, um, in this mom writes about about you know why am I struggling in relationship with my with my kid, we brought them home from the hospital and Dr. Purvis explains like a lot of the prenatal stuff and like they're experiencing that they're, they're, they've experienced a loss that they can't understand. Mm. And so the body keeps the score thing, the vendor call thing book about how um, she is processing a loss that she has no explicit memories of. Right. And so she can't actually process the loss, but her body feels it. And, reading that and then going to class and they're t- talking about the six, those risk factors. And then the first three, I'm like, that's my kid. Mm-hmm. It was very sobering yeah. because I we certainly had that expectation of like, this was going to be, we brought a baby home from the, from the hospital. There were going to be no issues. Right. Yeah. Well, Any of that stuff.
2: I remember just sitting in classes, learning things in foster care and, we had already said we wanted an infant like our age range was really low when we first started like zero to two or zero to one. And so we said, well, we don't need to pay attention to any of this stuff because that's all for, you know, older kids. It's Mm -hmm. not going to affect us. I mean, we really, that's what we thought. And I think, and I think
0: most people in that situation probably would have thought the exact same thing. Yeah. I think so.
2: Because you're thinking, well, it's the only family they've ever known. Mm -hmm. and, and this is when they don't remember. And I, I just, I didn't know. We didn't know about the impacts of prenatal stress and harm and early, you know, medical trauma and all of those things. And so I think it was, it was quite surprising to us when we learned that, but thankfully we did so that we understood our daughter more, you know, and we could kind of have a little more compassion where we might not have before. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, You know, one of the big expectations that I had that was unmet was sibling relationships and kind of how that would go. I think when we were fostering, I just expected that all my kids were going to just love every kid that came into our home Mm -hmm. and we're going to just love what we were doing as a family. We were fostering and and they didn't always really like the kids that came into our home and they didn't really get along with those kids. You know, I mean, they, they fought with those kids and they said, why are we doing this? And, um, and I didn't, and I don't know why I had that expectation, but then as I started thinking about it, after we stopped fostering, I had the expectation that kids that were kind of close in age, the siblings that they would, if, if you raised them right, they were going to be good friends Mm. and, they were never going to fight with each other, and they fight with each other. <laughs> yeah, my, a my, lot. Wife, my wife and they her do. sister are
0: two years apart, and I can tell you from you know what she's told me, they fought all the time. <laughs>
2: yeah. So. I mean, I have a brother who's eight years younger than me, and so we fought over different things. You know, he was an annoying eight-year-old. And I was a teenager, right? So we didn't. F- I-, I always thought that if there was a sibling closer to me, we would have been good friends, and we would share things, and we'd share a room, and we'd share toys, and all these things. I I don't we'd know paint why. Paint each other's nails. Yeah, <laughs> I-, I just had this this very like, um, well, what do we say earlier? Like Sound of Music, right? And yeah. this like beautiful picture of what a family was going to look like with all these kids and <laughs> dear sister, come yes. here give me a hug. Seriously. <laughs> and so what ended up happening and how the, you know, I would respond to them out of this place of how would you treat your sibling like that? They mm. love you. And, and I began to kind of shame my kids and kind of, ex- cause my expectation was that they should get along. And so I was going to shame them into feeling, you know, I don't know, like
3: parenting 101, shame is a motivation. <laughs> Seriously, I thought I
2: was going to motivate them if I just made them feel bad enough about how they were unkind to their sibling that maybe they would not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my expectation led to a break in connection with my kids because they weren't meeting my expectation.
3: How many siblings do you have, Allison?
2: I have
1: two brothers.
3: And uh, what's the age gaps?
1: three years and four years and I am the middle child. (laughs) Sorry if we get along so
3: well. (laughs) Please, Um,
1: no middle child jokes.
3: (laughs) Luckily, they didn't know this information before we started. (laughs) (laughs) I have a brother who is 18 months older than I am and so I did not share any of Kayla's expectations about siblings (laughs) liking each other. (laughs) Um, I, I mean, you know, the flip of that is like... Because honestly, having having siblings that are, that are eight years apart, it's, it's almost like like your parents have two firstborns, right? Mm. There's just so much gap gap between them because you're eight and there's just so much from a developmental standpoint that's taken root in your brain. Yeah. The flip side though is I, um, my older brother was 18 months old uh, when I was born and there were a lot of pictures where my mother used to dress us like twins <laughs> when we were younger because we were so close in age. But I also remember um, when I was about 19 years old, he and I got into an argument about something, and um, and I, um, as some nineteen-year-olds are prone to do, used a potty word when I suggested what he could go do with himself in this argument, and um, and he slapped me in the face and told me not to speak to him like that. And I remember just being so mad because, I, you know, if you're going to take a swing at me, at least have the decency <laughs> to close your hand. <laughs> Don't slap me. And so I just like. Cocked back and punched him in the face, and that's sort of how we settled disputes when we were younger. So again, I was like, um, you know, I went, why aren't siblings getting along? And I remember I was talking. I said, honey, I think that your expectation that your kids are going to get along with each other is is it's not real, man. Mm. It's not real because they do, and and the closer they are in age, what I realized with my older brother is is part of that isn't just sibling rivalry. It is really your attempt to create your own identity. Mm. And because you're so close in age to other people that you feel like you have to fight for that sense of identity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you don't just grow up being who you are. You grow up being, um, living in this other person's shadow. It's almost and, like your parents have an
0: uh, an unconscious sense of twins when you're that close together in related, age.
3: Yeah. yeah. But you really have to fight to not live in his shadow. And, mm-hmm. and his shadow was annoying to live in because over, over, <laughs> overachiever does not start to describe my older brother. Okay, um, we, could, we could run the role, but I just will say that um, he finished his doctorate in ministry while at law school. <laughs> so uh, so that's, that's who my older brother is. And it was really difficult, particularly in high school, mm. because people would say, well, this, the whole expectation thing, there's this expectation that he had come along, and then all the teachers that I had two years behind him expected me to act like him. And I remember my, my English teacher telling me once, why can't you be like your brother? Mm. And I'm like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going back to what I said earlier about,
0: you know, two of my kids play hockey. Uh, you know, we do live in a a city where there is a professional hockey team, and we've had the occasion to meet professional hockey players or former professional hockey players. And they have kids who play hockey and you may not have had this, you know, the phrasing of expectations come out, but in the course of conversation, you know, like I've met Marty Turco who was a goalie for the Dallas stars and his kid plays hockey and I had the chance to talk to Marty and I said, so does your son play goalie too? He goes, no, I won't let him play goalie because Marty knew that any kid with Turco on his Jersey and goalie gear, everyone's going to have the expectation that Marty's kids going to be Marty. And he's not, he's him. He's yeah. his own person. Like you were saying. And so yeah. he, he didn't even want that expectation put on his kid. So he's like, no, he can play anything he wants in hockey except goalie.
3: What's well, like Greg Lamond who famously wouldn't let his kids cycle right, for the same reasons.
2: Hmm. that's smart though I and, mean I think
0: and they're you know professional uh, like Carl uh, Malone wouldn't let his kid play basketball yeah. he played football instead played for LSU go Tigers um, <laughs> that's but- G-E-A-U-X <laughs> yeah, that's right the E-A-U-X is implied but for the same reason right because he knew he his kid would have unrealistic expectations sure. put on him as a result of you know sharing his dad's name. So
3: So I think we can go around for another hour, but at the end of the day, you got to check your expectations, see where they're coming from because they're not helping your relationship with your child.
0: And I think that's the biggest thing is, yeah. you know, it's one thing to realize you have the unrealistic expectation. It's another thing to figure out where it comes yep. from and why you have it, Yep. which is just as important as realizing that you've got it in the first place. Right. Amen, because
3: brother.
2: All the, all the unmet expectations are doing is getting in, in the way of that connecting with your child. And right. if, again, if the week, keep that as our goal then we say okay it's not that i sometimes expectations are good right i mean there are good expectations to have Mm -hmm. and we're not saying you should never have any expectations it's just if they're unrealistic then they're just going to get in the way of connection
0: it's got to be developmentally appropriate yes well guys thanks so much for being on the podcast today Thanks, Chris. Nice to be with you again. Allison, thank you so much for being on with us.
2: Thanks for
1: having me, Chris.
0: If you guys have questions for us that you can squeeze into 280 characters that Twitter has so graciously given us these days, you can tweet them to us at OneBigHappyHome. If you need a little bit more room, you can always email us at info at com. We have a Facebook group just for podcast listeners. Search for The Empowered Parent Podcast Community. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or on the Google Play Store. Just search for the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from the show, we would appreciate a review in either location. The Empowered Parent Podcast is committed to helping parents of foster and adopted kids through connecting, correcting, and empowering principles. Thanks for listening.